Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Spiritual gifts. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills, one body with many members. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, 
Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, um, we are continuing in our series in 1 Corinthians and working our way through uh, the book. Um, this is uh, a portion of, of, the, uh, of the letter, really, of the next three chapters that we're going to approach. Um, as we always kind of do, we just kind of work through the text, uh, kind of verse by verse, section by section. Um, this will be a little bit different over the next few weeks just because we're trying to... Um, uh, so Village is, Village is a church that, because we're not a part of a, a, a main denomination... Um, we have people here from all kinds of different backgrounds. So some of you have come from um, maybe a Presbyterian background or Reformed Presbyterian background. Um, some of you come from more on the other end of the scale, from more of like maybe a charismatic background. Some of you are kind of in the middle, um, bit Baptists. Some of you are not sure what you are. Um, so today we want to um, really begin to unpack some of these ideas around spiritual gifts because it is a question that comes up uh, for new people. Um, they're here for a little while, and they're like, what do you guys believe in uh, about these sort of things? And so while we are going to work through the, this chapter, um, we're not going to cover all of this because we're going to come back to this next week, maybe the week after. We're actually going to look to chapter 14 a little bit today. And so we're going to almost do a thematic series within this, uh, the, this series as we go through because we really could probably do six weeks just on, on this topic alone. And so we're going to try to move... Uh, through this as we move toward the resurrection and Easter, uh, which I'm excited about. So I just want to say we're not going to say everything that, that we're probably able to say uh, about this topic, but we're going to try to at least get us um, in the neighborhood of, of where we are, where we believe the Bible teaches these things to be uh, uh, for us as a church. Um, and so as we think about these things, uh, that might excite some of you. Some of you are like, finally, it's about time we start talking about some of this stuff. Some of you are like, oh no, this is the part where I get nervous and uh, weird stuff's going to start happening and who knows um, because we come from different backgrounds. But let me just say, I think us coming from different backgrounds is a real strength of our church. Um, I don't think that that's a weakness as we're actually going to see the more diverse our body is, uh, the stronger our body is, uh, the stronger our church is. We want to be a church that operates in both spirit and in truth. Um, and those things can't be divorced from one another. And so we want to lean into what the Bible actually says. Um, if, if you know uh, anything about our church, if you've been here long enough, you know that we believe uh, that this is the book by which we uh, judge all of our life. Um, and so we are Bible people. We want to do what God uh, says we should do as he reveals himself in, in his word. Uh, of who he is, of who we are, and who we are in relation to him. And this is no uh, different from that. Um, you, basically, when it comes to this idea of kind of gifts of the Spirit, um, there's kind of two camps, if you will. Um, there are what are called cessationists, people who think that certain gifts of the Spirit, uh, certainly the more miraculous or sign gifts, um, have ceased. Uh, that they were for a particular time in, in history, and that those gifts ceased when the apostles kind of um, died out. And so some gifts we should expect to operate, but some gifts um, are no longer operating anymore. 
Um, on the other side of that coin, you have continuationists um, who'd say, we don't see any evidence from the Scripture that we should expect certain gifts to stop, uh, that the gifts have continued on to and will continue on to until Christ returns. So uh, cards on the table, that's the camp we're in. We're continuationists here. We believe that the gifts are still operational for today. Why is that? Because we believe the Bible. And the Bible, as we've just even read today, says we should earnestly seek the gifts. So we'll explain more of that over the next coming weeks as we, as we move through this uh, part of the text. We'll also look to some other texts um, because not all of what we want to say is covered in, in this. Paul addresses it in Ephesians. He addresses it in Romans. Uh, he talks to Timothy about some of these things. Peter addresses it in his letters. And so we'll get into some of these things as we, as we move through this. But let's start in this. Because Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. Now when he says spiritual gifts here, the word that he used for gifts in verse 1 isn't the same that he uses in verses 4. So not to get all nerdy on you, but it's important that we look at this. So in the Greek, the, when he's using, uh, now concerning spiritual gifts, that's pneumaticon. That's the, the Greek word that he uses for that. But the rest of the time, he's going to talk about gifts. He uses the word charismata. So there's something different here. It's not the exact same word that he's using. Probably a better translation um, would be, the brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual things or these spiritual realities that you have inquired about. Remember, this is a letter that Paul is writing to them to answer some of the questions that they have written to him about. So they've asked about uh, these kind of spiritual realities, uh, these, the spiritual um, things that are going on in their church. And he, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about them. I want you to be informed. There are spiritual realities in the world that we live in as followers of Jesus. I think sometimes we can forget that. We think that our, the world that we live in is only what we can see. It's only the tangible. And yet, the Scripture would remind us over and over again that, that we don't live in just a two-dimensional world of what, it, what can be seen, what can be heard, that there is a spiritual reality. There's a supernatural reality in which we live in as well. Um, human beings are not the only beings. <laughs> there are spiritual beings um, and those are real. And I think in a modern kind of Western, postmodern kind of society, we can lose sight of that at times. Um, we can kind of forget. Um, of course, we would acknowledge God, and, and maybe we might acknowledge, you know, angels or demons or those sorts of things, but they don't have any real reality. They don't have any real play in our life. And Paul would say, no, I don't want you to be uninformed that this world isn't just a tactile world that we live in. There's spiritual realities at play. And some of these things that he wants us to know about are within the church, within the body of Christ. For those that are born again, that they've been regenerated in Christ, that God has given them certain gifts. And so we're going to just walk through some of these um, this morning. Um, we're not, I'm not, this, uh, this morning I'm not going to look at each individual kind of gift and define those and, and parse those out. We will do that in the coming weeks, but I want to kind of um, give us an overview or, or set us on a trajectory this morning um, from chapter 12 here. So what are these kind of gifts that, that were given? These are spiritual gifts, um, or, or, or you could translate them, they're grace gifts. They're gifts that God gives to us as a manifestation of his grace to his people. God has gifted his people with manifestations of his grace. They're sovereignly given abilities to serve each other. God gives us abilities, asks his people 
to serve one another, that we do this to build one another up. They're given. And this is what I want us to start with. They're given as gifts. They're not earned. They're not deserved. God gives each according to his own sovereign will. I think that's hard for us to understand because we're so used to an achievement kind of uh, uh, frame of mind. So even the gifts that we, we receive at times have an achievement kind of earning built into them, right? So even at Christmas time, you get gifts because you're nice, not because you're naughty, right? So there's a certain amount of, you'll get a certain amount of gift if you kind of live up to a certain kind of expectation. Um, we give gifts for kind of cultural advancement, right? Weddings, maybe you got promotion at work, uh, an anniversary of some kind. Acts of kindness, just a gift connected to no reason at all, are actually pretty rare, aren't they? But when they happen, there are these beautiful kind of acts. When we recognize these kind of random acts of kindness, um, people just giving you a gift for no reason other than to say that they love you, that they appreciate you, um, um, are meaningful, aren't they? We're much more used to a sense of earning because when we earn something, we feel assured of our rights. We feel insured of our entitlements. So sometimes gifts in the church can be marred with a sense of kind of performance. Um, this is what's happening in the church of Corinth, right? You've seen already the church is divided um, within that. Maybe you've felt it this way. Maybe if you're married, right? And maybe it's your anniversary and it's, uh, you exchange gifts. Have you ever felt like maybe the gift that you gave was a little bit better than the gift you received? You're like, man, I kind of like got shafted on that one a little bit. You're like, okay. So, right? But why, why do you feel that way? Because you felt entitled to a better gift because the gift you gave was better. And you're like, this is really? I feel like this wasn't exactly equal here. It's just the way we think. We've got it built into our mentality of achievement, even in gifts. And an achievement mentality blinds us to the fact, really, that all of life is grace. All, all of life is a gift from God. Every part of it. Scripture tells us that every good gift comes from the Father, comes from above. And so we see in verses 2 and 3, he says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. Idols, false gods that didn't, didn't talk, they, they, they weren't alive, they couldn't do anything for you, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Spirit. Their identity as a Christian body is the hallmark of that is, is a proclamation and living by the creed that Jesus is Lord. And that can't be achieved. That can't be earned. The, the, the only way that we live that out and, and believe that and, and utter that and, and, and so organize our lives underneath the truth that Jesus is Lord is because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The work of the Holy Spirit that's brought us from spiritual death to life, that has taken a heart of stone and turned it into a heart of flesh, that has changed our desires to actually want to um, follow Jesus, to deny ourselves to see others as more important as ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him, to use our gifts for the betterment of other people and not for ourselves. All of that under the banner of Jesus as Lord only happens in the spirit. It's a gift. Even the faith that we have 
to believe, according to Ephesians, is a gift that we have. And so it removes all kind of pride. It removes all kind of ego. Because whatever gift that God has given you is a gift. It wasn't because you were anything, that you were better than another person. Well, I'm going to give you these. These gifts are like the really good gifts. These go to like the, the, special, the special kids. You common folk, yeah, you can have these kind of gifts here. This, isn't, this is the way that we might think. It's the way that we think in a, in a performance-based kind of society, achievement-based kind of society, and Paul is undercutting all of that. It removes our pride. It removes our ego because it's all a gift. Even our temperament, even our, our natural kind of ability, right? Because let's not... Let's not um, if all of life is a gift, and God has created all of us, both Christians and those that don't acknowledge God, non-Christians, in his image, he's also given all humans then a common grace, right? So there's a common grace that all humans get. So you don't have to be a Christian to make the world a better place, right? Non-Christians, there's plenty of atheists that have done good work in the world to try to make the world a better place, right? That's God's common grace to all of us as human beings. This isn't what we're talking about. This is, this is gifts that God has given to his people, and they're, they're given to his people to build up the church, to build up the body of Christ. So even our temperament, even our natural, our, our natural ability is a gift that God has given to us out of his common grace. Notice the language here um, that we see in verse 4. He says, now there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities, but in the same God who empowers them all. And everyone. So it's not just gifts. It's, a, it's the way that we can serve. It's our activities that are around that. There's this kind of composite picture that's being built up of, of who we are as the gifts that he has given us, our personalities, the way that God is, has wired us. We're not all the same. Praise God. But all of these things are given because God empowers them all. It's God working and empowering all of our activities, all of our services, all of our gifts that are being used. Now, why is Paul stressing this again as he begins to talk about this? Well, as we've seen, I don't want to rehash all this, but we, we've seen as we've gone through this in 1 Corinthians, the Corinthians are divided. It's a church that's very, it's, it's, um, it's being divided into different, um, you know, stratifications. We've seen socioeconomic, um, they're stratifying that way. Um, around different talents of who's a better public speaker and all of these sorts of things, who's the better teacher. And now they seem to be dividing along these kind of spiritual stratification as well. Some were more, uh, some people in the church had a more impressive gift set according to the way that they measured things. Maybe they had uh, more impressive talents or skills. And their obsession with power and status is causing them to overvalue some of the gifts of, of, of their members and to undervalue some of the gifts of others. And Paul is trying to correct this. He wants them to see that all of the gifts are valuable. Some gifts aren't more important than other gifts. They're all value, valuable. Now, there are some gifts um, that he might call the higher gifts in that way that are used because they, they impact more a broader set of people so obviously the gift that I'm using now in teaching is, is impacting all of us. Um, there are other gifts that I use that's more one-on-one. -on -one, and, and so there's, there's uh, impacts in those things are different, but they're not any more valuable than others. We do the same thing as the Corinthians. 
we tend to view platform gifts, right? Gifts that are used up here, that are, that are used in front of everyone as more valuable. But that's really more to do with our, our, our kind of performance, um, achievement-based way of thinking, as if there's some kind of levels that you, that you work up to. And man, if you finally get to use your gifts in front of everyone, well, now you've arrived in some kind of way. And Paul says that's not the case. God has given us each gifts. They're all valuable in that kind of way. This isn't, you know, the voice where we're trying to impress and, and to, to be chosen to be up on, on stage in any kind of way. Because what are the gifts for? Verse 7, to each is given, that's important, so each one of us is given the manifestation of the Spirit, manifestation of God's grace to us, for, for what? For what reason? For the common good. For the common good. He'll use other language in other places to build up, to encourage the body. And so if you've ever wondered this morning, am I gifted? Has God given me any kind of spiritual gifts? What do I bring to the community? Um, be assured this morning that you are. That God, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, um, he has gifted you with gifts to use for the edification of the saints, to build up one another. And as we see, some, some of those gifts are more public and some of them are more hidden. But what does he say? The more hidden kind of gifts, the ones that aren't seen, actually deserve more honor. He's trying to level the playing field. Gifts aren't something that we work up. They're something that we live into. They're something that we practice that we put into practice. And we'll talk more about this as we, as we move into um, uh, to this so that we'll hopefully have some tools to understand and discern what is it, um, what, what might those gifts kind of be. And notice in verse 7, it's to each is given. As we see in the second half of this chapter, the body needs you. The church needs you. This is why listening to a podcast are great. They're fine, right? But if that's, our only way of kind of, if we think, sometimes we can have this kind of consumer mindset when it comes to church. The church is a product of which we come to and we consume, right? So if the teaching's really good um, or if the music's really good or it, it has these kind of programs to meet my kind of needs in that kind of way, we, we kind of see ourselves as something apart from the church in some ways. And it's, it's a service from which we as consumers take. That is just not in any way, shape, or form, the way the Bible describes the, the body of Christ. You are the church, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning. It's you. It's not just me. It's not, it's not just the leaders. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the staff. It's not just the people that, that are up here in the front to, to put on some kind of a show. It, it's you. It's our lives interacting with one another um, throughout the whole week. It's why this is one part of what we do. And, and it's an important part of what we do, for sure. But it's not the only part of what we do. It's why, um, if you're a member of a church, we want you to be in a, in a community that's smaller than this. That our lives are actually bumping up against one another. That we're actually able to use our gifts. Sometimes, when we have this mentality, it makes it hard for us to understand, well, where can I use my gifts? Because we think our gifts have to be used right now, in this hour. Most of our gifts aren't going to be used uh, on a Sunday morning in our gathering. Most of the gifts that we see in, in the scripture are going to be used um, throughout the week. 
And so it's important that we don't come with a kind of consumer attitude, but we come with a participation, each of us using our, gifts, our gift mix to bless, to edify, to build up. We're not here just to watch me and other people use our gifts on the stage. Most of our gifts are going to be used Monday to Saturday, including mine. They're used in our missional communities as we gather together. They're used in our core groups as we gather together to encourage one another, to edify one another, maybe even sometimes to rebuke one another. All of these different ways that we do this. And look what it says, because here here we see um, some examples of different gifts that the Spirit may give us. So verse 8 through 11. For one is given through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by one Spirit, by the one Spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Look at verse 27. We see some more examples. Now, you are the body of Christ. Individually, you're members of that. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, then prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. And then he asks the question, is everybody going to be an apostle? No. Are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? No. We don't all have the same gifts. God has apportioned to us, each one individually, verse 11, as he wills. And that's important that we realize this isn't a comprehensive list either. Um, We're going to see, actually, I don't think anywhere in the Bible does Paul provide a complete list of the gifts that are available to us. In fact, we see throughout the Bible is what he provides is a variety of partial lists. So we have this list um, in 1 Corinthians, um, even in chapter 1, verse 5, we see some. In this chapter, in 12, we see some. In, in the next chapter, in the first three verses, he gives some examples. In verses 8 and 9 and 13, he gives some examples. In Romans 12, 6 to 8 is another list. In, Rome, in Ephesians 4, 11 is another list. And then Peter jumps in. He's got to get down the action in 1 Peter 4, 11 with yet another list. So there's just these different examples that are given at different times to these different churches as examples, probably for what they're needing to hear at the time. So there's all these different kind of gifts that the body has given to us, a whole variety. Because the body actually needs a whole variety. Imagine, and this is what Paul gets to, right? Imagine if we were all an eye. That'd be a pretty grotesque body. Just a big giant, be like Mike from Monsters with just the one big eye, right? Um, we need all the complexity of the human body. There's a reason why he uses the, the body as an analogy um, for that. Because the body is super complex. And there's parts of our body that we can see, that we use, that are super visible. There are modest parts that we cover up. And then there are parts that you and I don't even see. Like, I don't know what my spleen does, but I think it's, it's important for something. <laughs> you medics in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the room can, can tell me. I know when it goes bad, it goes bad. Your gallbladder, your appendix, 
I have no idea what any of those things do. I just know when they, when they fail, people get really sick. They're important. And it's the same with us. Each one of us have something to bring to the body of Christ. A few other things I want, uh, I want us to think about um, as we think about our gifts, because I think these, these principles are important to us to, to get us thinking in the right kind of way so that when we do start to delve into these in more detail, um, we're starting from the right place. Um, our gifts don't excuse us from servanthood either. We've uh, referenced back to Philippians chapter 2 several times in this series already because the mindset a Jesus has, one of a servant who didn't see his rights or his gifts, something to be clung on to, but he, he gives them away for what reason? To serve his people so that you and I would be a part of the body of Christ. So Jesus has this nature of a servant, and that's the same nature that we're told that we're to have. And so regardless of what your gifts are, we're all called to serve. This is what Mark, uh, in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, Jesus says. Jesus calls them together as disciples, and he says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. So he calls his disciples together. These are going to be the leaders of, of the church when he's gone. And he says, don't be like the Gentile leaders. They exercise authority heavy-handedly. They lord it over people. There's a hierarchy that's here. He's like, this isn't the way it is with you. Instead, whoever wants to be, become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are called to use our gifts to serve others, not ourselves. And we're all, you know, it's like, so because my gifts um, tend to be around like apostolic kind of teaching, prophetic kind of gifts, that doesn't mean like, well, you know what? These chairs need to be set out, but that's above my pay grade. That's below my pay grade now. You know, I'm an apostolic teacher, prophecy guy. No, like a toilet needs to be cleaned and if, if I'm the only one around to, to do that, then I, then I should do that. Like, we're all called to sometimes just do the things that need to be done. We're called to use our gifts to serve one another. It's not to separate ourselves from one another, which is what's happening in Corinth. When we think about our, our areas of gifting, sometimes the joy that we experience in the faith and sometimes the frustration that we might feel in our faith can be key indicators of the areas of our gifting. Where, when you're serving the Lord or serving the church, do you just get a real sense of pleasure? You feel like, man, I just feel like there's a part of me that comes alive when I'm, when I'm, when I'm serving the church in this way. It might be physically and emotionally exhausting, and yet you still feel fulfilled in that moment. So, for me, the part of that is teaching. Like, I feel exhausted when I'm done with this. Like, I love a Sunday afternoon nap, and yet I feel really fulfilled in, in the moment. I feel like I'm actually using the gifts that God has called me to use. Or maybe when you're wanting to critique the church, and no church is above a critique, right? We, we say often, uh, one thing I say to our leaders often is, I want leaders with a critical spirit, uh, with a critical mind, but not a critical spirit. 
So a critical mind can see things, evaluate things, can critique it uh, in a constructive, creative way, but not have a, 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 a critical spirit and the difference in that. And so sometimes we can critique, but in those critiques, when you're maybe critiquing a local church, maybe ask, am I frustrated because this church is bad or because I have a gift of the spirit that's maybe not being utilized here? Am I the person that's meant to utilize my gift to actually help this body in an area that maybe it isn't expressing itself? Often our, criticize, our criticisms are the cries of our heart expressing the longings of our spiritual gifts. And that's important in a church like Village because we're not a church that's been around for decades. Um, and when you plant a church, you have to start somewhere. You can't, you, you can't just, it's like building a building. You have to lay a foundation and then the next thing goes on, and then the next thing, and the next thing. You just don't start from a brand new building out of nowhere. And so for us, as we've grown as a church, uh, there are things that we don't do now that we would like to be doing. But some of that is going to require some of you to exercise spiritual gifts, maybe in a way that you're not now. So we would love to get a prayer team kind of up and running, and some other things. Or even in, in, in maybe when we meet in our, our times of prayer and worship, those are nights that A sermon isn't a key part of that night, Um, but it's definitely a night where it's open more for us being able to pray with one another and to speak into one one of those lives, to be able to use our gifts in maybe ways that we don't feel as free to now. Often our gifts kind of color, they impact all that we see and all that we do. You get different people with different gifts talking about a problem, and they're usually going to emphasize more of their gift as the solution to that problem, right? And so we need to be aware of that. So some people, you know the problem with the church, not enough hospitality. They're just not friendly enough. If they were more, if they were more open and friendly, this church would be, well, you know, I think the problem with the church is it just needs better, better Bible teaching. No, what it really needs is more outreach, And what you could have there are three people all really being frustrated with things that reveal a lot about their gifts. Someone with a gift of hospitality, someone with a gift of teaching, someone with a gift of evangelism. And so we have to keep all these things together to create this beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. We can't moralize our gifts as if one is more important than the other. So so pay attention to your frustrations. Maybe some of you are frustrated with village. You know, I really wish we were doing more of this, or why don't we do this? Instead of being frustrated with that, instead of creating division in that, instead of doing those things, speak to us as leaders. Lean into that. It might be the Spirit using your giftedness, your passions, your convictions um, to add something to the body that isn't currently visible in that way. The other thing that we need to remember is that spiritual gifts are not a sign of spiritual maturity. Now, this is a hard one because I don't understand why God does this. Because if I were God, I would do it differently. Probably, probably a good sign that I shouldn't be God, right? But listen to this. This is First Corinthians. You'll remember this. First Corinthians chapter 1. Um, so flip back there. Let's just, let's just read this verse together. This is First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 to 7. This is Paul's opening gambit to the Corinthians. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, 
even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, you're like, man, this church has got it going on. They don't lack in any spiritual gift. There's God's grace to them. They're being enriched in him and all their speech and knowledge. Now, now turn to chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Y'all are babies. I fed you with milk, not solid food. For you are not ready for it, and even now you're not ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in human ways? For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? And how is, how is he addressing both of, that, both of those groups of people in the same way? Here's a church, he says, you are not lacking in any spiritual gift, but boy, are you guys immature. You guys are divided among yourselves. How can you be enriched in every way, not lacking any spiritual gift, and yet at the same time be spiritually immature? And that's just the way that it is. What does that mean for us then? It means that we need to grow, we need to carry our gifts humbly, first of all, Especially if it's a more visible kind of gift. Um, it's why James says, hey, not many of you should be teachers. Because with, with that more public gift comes a more public scrutiny and a harsher judgment from the Lord. And so we need to carry our gifts humbly uh, in that. And just because someone is operating in a spiritual gift in, in, a, in a more powerful way doesn't necessarily mean that they uh, are, are a spiritually mature person. We get into a lot of trouble with churches sometimes um, because of that. We see someone who's gifted uh, in that way, and so we just assume then because God has gifted them powerfully that they must be mature, really mature. And then that person goes on to, there's just a, a, a wake of destruction in their path of abuse, of domineering leadership, whatever, whatever it may kind of be, because they had a powerful gift, but they weren't mature, they weren't using it in, that right, in, the, in the right way. And so we as leaders need to, be humble. We need to be able to, to look at ourselves that way. We need to have accountability in, in, in structures in the right kind of way. And as people are, are uh, growing in their gifts, that needs to be done in a way in which um, their giftedness is not outstripping their maturity. It's funny because when, when Paul talks about the qualifications of elders in a church and deacons, um, these are the, the men and the women that should lead the church. He hardly ever mentions gifts. He, he rarely mentions any kind of skill. The only one for elders that he, that he mentions as far as a skill or a gift is the ability to teach. Other than that, they're all character. They're all integrity. They're all who, who we are in our interior life. Why? Because that's what really matters. If the spiritual gifts are the engine that's driving things, your character, your integrity is, is really the steering wheel and the, and the braking system of how these things are guided and directed in the right way. And one without the other will just send you straight off of a cliff. And so it's important um, that we don't equate spiritual gifts as a sign of maturity. Spiritually immature people can also um, have gifts, do have gifts. It's our job then to grow in maturity and that our character is leading our gifts and not the other way around. So how do we steward these gifts then? How, how should we think about stewarding our gifts? 
At the end of, of chapter 12, verse 31, he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. In, in the opening verse of chapter 14, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. We should pursue, we should have a hunger for spiritual gifts. Now, why though? Why should, we, why should we have a hunger for spiritual gifts? To serve other people. I wonder if sometimes we wonder what our spiritual gifts are or we don't see what they are because we think, we're thinking about ourselves in those moments. How can my spiritual gift benefit me? How can it build me up? How can I feel a certain way in operating my spiritual gift? But that's really the wrong way to think about it. Our, our prophecy should be, um, our, our, our posture should be one towards pursuing the gifts, wanting to grow in them for the common good. So Paul would tell the church in Thessalonica, he says, don't treat prophecy with contempt. Because we, we, can, we, can, we can go to the extremes on these, right? We can become this hyper-charismatic, everything's about the gifts. We want to see power and manifestation of the Spirit. We're chasing after these experiences all the time to the detriment of everything else. <coughs> and that's a danger. But Paul would also warn the other side, hey, don't, don't show contempt for these things. This is how God is going to build up the body. He's going to give each of you gifts. I can't be the only person imparting spiritual truth to you guys. Imagine that. A church our size and only one person is speaking spiritual truth into each other's lives once a week for 45 minutes. 37 so far, but we're coming to an end. I got my clock up here. Don't you worry. I've been really trying to keep it around 45. Thank you very much. And go look on the webcast. I do a pretty good job. Of it. So, right? So, but that can't be it. It's got to be, we, we need to be um, what Ephesians says, we need to be singing spiritual songs to one another. We need to be encouraging one another. We need to be rebuking one another. We need to be encouraging one another in the gospel. We need to be gospeling one another. We are all ministers of the gospel in that sense. We might not all be in the same leadership position, but you are empowered in the gospel just as much as I am. And so we should, we should cultivate our, 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 our gifts. Not be cynical not overreacting to immaturity with arrogance and superiority that kind of shuts it down or quenches the spirit. Paul says we shouldn't do that at all. We shouldn't neglect our own gifts. This is what Paul says to Timothy in chapter 4.14. He says, do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders lay their hands on you. Don't neglect your gift. Imagine that. When we think of neglect, like neglecting your kids, or neglecting a relationship, just neglecting your marriage. What happens when you don't actually pay attention to it, invest into it? It ends horribly. To think that there's something that in you that God has put there that we're just going to neglect, we're not going to pay attention to, that we're going to try to pursue, to grow in, and then we wonder where the power of God is in our life. We should also keep each other accountable for using our gifts, right? And so sometimes, we, sometimes it's hard for us to even see it ourselves. And so we should affirm those things in other people. Call out each other's gifts. What are you doing to develop your gift? If you're in a core group, that's a great conversation for this week. 
Hey, what do you think your gifts are? How are you developing in those? How are you pursuing those? Paul again to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-control. Should be hallmarks of our spiritual gifts. Power, the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, our love for one another, and self-control. But he's but he he needs to remind Timothy, you need to fan into flame what God has put there. So we should keep each other accountable. When people are spiritually cold, do they draw near to your life for the heat and the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit coming through your gift? Are you a person that's sought out because of what God is doing in your life is a flame to that other person? And so we call it out like Paul did with Timothy. We want to fan that into flame. And that's key, especially in leadership, to leadership. Where are people encouraging you in your walk? That might be an indicator of where you're operating well in your gift. If you... If people constantly are commenting or are encouraged by a certain aspect of your relationship with them as it pertains to the Christian life, um, that might be an indication of where the Lord has gifted you. The other thing that I want us to think about spiritual gifts, because sometimes we think that they're just detached from us in some kind of way, right? There's like me, and then somehow when I'm operating in a gift, it's some, something outside of my control, um, particularly around things like the miraculous, you know, the more manifestation gifts of like speaking in tongues and things like that. But look in chapter 14. I told you we'd look a little bit to some of these things. In chapter 30, uh, verses 32, he says, In the spirits, now notice that's small spirit, so that's us, like our spirit of prophets, are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. So we are in control of our gifts. Sometimes, especially the stuff that ends up on TV, um, you know, you see a guy swinging his jacket and hadouken like a whole crowd of people and they're, you know, on the ground flopping around. Like, I'm just not sure that it seems to be that the, the gifts of the Spirit, that we're in control of those gifts. Now, can, when we encounter the Spirit, is it powerful? Absolutely. This isn't just a, a buttoned-up kind of predictable manner kind of a thing. We're not out of control when we're using our gifts. There's this beautiful balance of the Spirit's power, but also order. Um, we're going to see this as we walk through. Paul's concerned about the order as they gather together, mainly because it affects their witness and how people actually understand the Spirit of God. And so we want to use our, our gifts in a way that, that builds up the body. And doesn't cause confusion. Um, and then lastly, as we, as we close, the context of the spiritual gifts that I want us to see. Sometimes we, in our kind of postmodern Western way of, of uh, approaching life, it's very much an individualistic way that we do that. We think of everything in our kind of individualized kind of way. Um, and we end up then with bad versions of how we think about the church. We undervalue the church. Sometimes we see the church as this kind of, <coughs> excuse me, as a kind of a, a chaplain, see, for a self-improvement kind of project. 
So I can come to the church as a consumer, and oh, there's some things here almost as a self-help kind of way to do that. Or we see it as a series of events and programs, things that we slot into our schedule. We see it as secondary or supplemental to our life. So if I have time, I can kind of, um, you know, slot that in. We see it as something, uh, another thing among many um, that we're involved in. That's not how the, Bi- the Bible describes. That's not how God views his family. Here, we come back to this idea of we are a body of Christ, fundamentally intrinsic, uh, intrinsically important to one another. So that if parts of the body are missing, the body it doesn't function the way that it's supposed to. If you're a follower of Jesus, our full potential, our future, is never going to be fully realized apart from the body of Christ. It's the way that God has actually hardwired our soul, that we actually need one another. It's interesting that God doesn't just give you all of the gifts. He proportions those according to his will. He's purposefully limited and focused focused our giftedness so that we have to work together, that we have to remain dependent on each other in order to grasp the whole. It's like a puzzle. And each of us are a piece of that puzzle. And so you don't know what the picture actually is. You don't know what, what the, what, what's being communicated in, that, in the picture of that puzzle until all the pieces are put together. The church is the body of Christ. Verses 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we're all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, we're all made to drink one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. The body consists of all of us together. And he goes on to talk about, right? The foot can't just say, well, because I'm not a hand, I'm not as important. I don't belong here. No, hands and feet are both important. Eyes and ears are both important. Seen and unseen are both important. They all are composed to the, to, the, to the body, giving greater honor to the body. And it's God who is joining us all together. And he reminds them, well, are, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Do we all have the same gifts of healing? No. And that's the beauty of the diversity of the body of Christ. The body is important. Why does the body matter? You think about that. Like, God has created us in his image, but it's an embodied spirit. When Jesus comes and he takes on the form of man, he comes in a body. When he ascends and sits at the right hand of the Father, he's still in a body. He's, he's 100% God, 100% man for the rest of eternity. He's embodied in that way. Why is a body important? Even when you think about the, the demonic, evil, Frank Viola says it this way. He says, evil spirits desire to inhabit bodies because they crave expression. That's the whole point of possession. They seek to take over a human body so that they can express themselves through it, employing it for wicked purposes on the earth. Jesus Christ is now in the spirit, and he also craves expression. 
He seeks to make his life visible through a many-membered being. The body of Christ exists to express God on the earth. That's us. A body exists to manifest the dreams of the heart. Think about a high-level um, like ballerina in that sense. Dedicated hours and hours of her, of her time. Strictest of diets. Um, hours, untold hours of um, practice. Her body paying the price for all those things. And it's the way that she expresses who she actually is. But then what if she got into a car accident and is paralyzed? No longer able to express um, all of those hopes and dreams that she's poured all of those hours into with the paralyzed body. No longer able to manifest those things from the inside out. We would think that that would be a bit of a tragedy, isn't it? But I just wonder sometimes if that isn't a, a metaphor of the church at times. Jesus wanting to express himself through his body and yet we become paralyzed or parts of our body is paralyzed. Him wanting to bring the heart of God to the world but a body that just can't make it happen. Not responsive enough to bring the vision of God alive. Our body matters because it gives expression to who God is. And you matter because every person finds their place in that body so that they can fulfill the ministry that God has, not just for you, but for us collectively together. And so we have unity. This is what Paul's driving. He wants to bring them united together, different backgrounds, different people, different socioeconomic um, uh, people coming together, different races, male, female, all coming together in diversity, not a monoculture, not groupthink, but diverse And there's mutuality. They're there to love one another, to serve one another, to actually consider the other before themselves. And to accomplish this, the Spirit gives each of us gifts to make the body healthy, to make it operating at its full potential, to give full expression to the Spirit, to each other, and to the world as it watches on. And so it's important as we think about our spiritual gifts. This isn't an add-on. This isn't just some kind of like, oh, side interesting kind of theology. This is central to who we are as his people. And so how does this work for you? What's your role in the body? What are your gifts? Is there something you're neglecting? Is there a spiritual atrophy that's kind of happening in your life? These are some of the Directions, some of the things that we want to think about as we start to move forward in the next few weeks. And we'll start to unpack these a little bit more. But I want us to set um, the right kind of perspective on these things as we move forward. No doubt as we have questions, those will drive us forward as as well um, as we seek um, for God to make clear to us what role we play at this time and place. Um, And no doubt that changes as we mature, as we grow, as we gain experience as well. Um, let's do that. We're going to come together um, in another expression of unity that we looked at last week um, in the Lord's Supper. So if you're a follower of Jesus, um, we encourage you to come to the table. It's a way that we meet with Christ in a special way together in unity. Um, I, I, I want to say um, something I've never had to say before, but as I sanitize my hands...
Um, and as we think about kind of coronavirus and all that kind of um, stuff, I've never had to think about that um, in a situation like this before. Um, we are listening and considering best practices for that. Um, can I just encourage all of us to um, do what we've been told to do, like personal hygiene, wash your hands, sanitize them. There's sanitizer out there as you come in, that sort of stuff. Um, as we gather together, we don't want to be a, a, a people that's marked by fear. Um, we don't want to be marked by hysteria that isn't um, appropriate or anything like that. But we also don't want to be um, foolish as well. And so we want to, to do that. So if we need to change our practice of how we um, distribute communion in the, as things unfold, we'll consider that. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that. Um, but for now, um, everyone do our part um, in that. If you're really sick and all of that, then maybe give communion a miss for one week uh, until you feel better. Um, tear off a piece of bread that's big enough that you're not getting your fingers in the wine. That helps as well. So, you know, just kind of common sense stuff. If we need to pre-tear the bread up and stuff, we'll, we'll consider that as we move forward. So um, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us the gifts that you have given us, um, the very uh, air that is filling our lungs, um, the life that you have given us. And Father, we, um, as we think about your very character and your very nature, even the parables of Jesus are, are filled with just absolute ridiculous generosity. Often with the, with the godlike figure of those parables just being um, unnecessarily generous. So it is uh, with your spirit with us that you have given us, given us gifts. Father, we pray that we would be uh, attentive to those, that we wouldn't neglect them, that we would fan those into flame. Uh, as we've said before, uh, the Christian life is, is an examined life, that we would consider uh, the way that you have wired us with our personality, our passions, uh, the things that excite us, um, the way that other people have called out our, our abilities to encourage, to build up uh, the body. Father, we don't want to be a body that is marked by paralysis or atrophy. Uh, we want to be a church that is healthy and vibrant, um, not because of uh, hype or something that we're just trying to make um, seem healthy and vibrant, but in real substantive ways um, because we are all serving one another. We're we are loving one another. We're operating in the ways that you have created us to operate in. And so, Father, would you lead us by your Spirit um, further into these things as we consider these things, um, as we consider them in our MCs this week, as, as we consider them maybe in cores or in, over coffee with folks. Um, we just pray that your Spirit would just Im, imbibe all of those things, that you would guide us and, and direct us um, to the life that you have for us as a local church. Um, and so, Father, guide us and direct us to that end even as we come in unity together um, to meet with you at your table this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen.